This is a Need 10 Media production. Welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Kleber again. In this episode, uh, we get to meet Daniel Offen. Uh, he's an English major in college. Looked like some careers he's had along the way from business development and intelligence and became an expert in LinkedIn, which is something not many people I don't think use to their full extent of, of what that software, what that system can do. We're going to learn more about that. But Daniel, welcome to this podcast. But I want to go back in time a little bit. Uh, when you were maybe a teenager, where did you think you'd be going? And what did you feel like you might be doing uh, after you were a, a teenager, I guess? That's a great question. I'm glad to be part of the That's a Job. I had no idea I would end up becoming a LinkedIn specialist, Nate. Probably as a teenager, I thought I would become either uh, an author or a judge or a musician at various uh, stages. But um, I've moved uh, and, and discovered many, uh, many professions along the way. None of them is really what I thought initially I would do. So, so what happened to, uh, and that, that's interesting, author, musician, and then judge. So uh, two of the three maybe have a, a tie, but the third one, that outlier, what, was, what were you thinking about maybe wanting to be a judge? Where'd that come from? Um, maybe I read too many uh, uh, Perry Mason uh, uh, novels when I was a teenager. Um, I think I'm, people called me um, balanced. Like I, I was one of the people when there was um, a dispute, then, then many people trusted me enough to, to, to come and, and ask me to um, do some kind of mediation, either you know in school, in the schoolyard, or later on in life. And that's what made me think about it. But the thread I discovered is probably training. Training sure. is probably the single most uh, consistent element that I, uh, that is related to my to my job and to my career. Um, I enjoy taking people from point A to point B, and if technology is involved, it's probably the best. Bridging the gap between people and technology in that order is my day job, if you like. So at what point did you, you kind of realize that? And, and you did get, uh, if you're looking at mediation in the schoolyard of whatever was happening out there at the time, there was, you were trying to get to point A to point B. And, and I suppose you, you were aware of, you know, Perry Mason got something from point A to point B, uh, or even uh, writing music or creating music, there's point A to point B. Uh, and that's something I get into is trying to discover that work, you know, not the job or their profession, but the work that you're wired to do. And you want to help people uh, through your training, through your work, get them from point A to point B. When did you kind of start realizing in a, a self-awareness piece that that was the work that, that maybe you were wired to do? When did you figure that out? I think it was gradual, to be honest. Uh, looking back, I think there are three elements we could uh, relate to. One is whether you're a, a college major or, or starting out. Uh, what is it that you you think you're, you're interested in? The second element is what you've done, what what you studied, or what you did as a in the workforce. And the third element is what the market requires or what the market needs. And ideally, we try to to find a zone that combines at least two of those, or, or maybe three. And one major client of mine is an outplacement firm, uh, Liek Terrison, LHH. 
And for probably 20 years, I was privileged to meet all sorts of professionals that have worked with tech companies for 15, 20 years. That's not uncommon. And you, you'd, you'd be amazed at the similarities that you face in your day-to-day uh, -day activities with graduates and, and the way people who've, who've worked for one company consider the market outside. They have no idea what's happening outside. They speak the, the, the company language and they need to pivot. And one of the things we do is help them better understand what's, what's outside. So before you went on your in, on your own, it looks like uh, the business you've been in right now that you started. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Fifteen years in, but you were part of the workforce there uh, for a while. <laughs> you know, talk about talk about that experience and the work that you were doing, uh, business development, business intelligence. You know, what is business intelligence, or is that an oxymoron? I don't know. <laughs> it might be an oxymoron. Um, I would. My first corporate job was uh, a competitive intelligence. And competitive intelligence, put simply, is if you're in a, in a, in a tech environment and, and the world is changing, the, the job is to see what's happening in the marketplace, what your competitors are doing, what potential partnerships could uh, the company consider, what regulation might affect the products of uh, the company, and, and generally trying to see where the market is headed, and that's usually under marketing. And it, was, it involved research and writing and editing all sorts of reports for the top dogs in, in startups or in larger companies. And then I, I took my first quota-carrying sales job. And then I, 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 it didn't really start well. The first six weeks were bad until LinkedIn showed me the name of the person I needed to reach out to. So we go back, like I signed up for LinkedIn in early 2004, and that was 2006. And because LinkedIn basically helped me to cut my own sales cycle, I decided to dive into it and to uh, um, better understand what's under the hood. And then I became more knowledgeable, more knowledgeable about it. And then friends asked me to come and train their, uh, their staff and, at one point I wake up, I, I, I just understood that this, this is the major part of my business. And then I, I needed to say no to all sorts of things and to focus and to build my niche, if you like. Well, and that's interesting. You go back to the middle 2000s and yeah, LinkedIn was, you know, what it was what it was, I guess. People thought it was, you know, uh, Facebook for business or however it got termed. And what is this thing actually going to be? What kind of, uh, what kind of uh, pushback did you get? Maybe even from the people you were working for or with that uh, you were using this tool, were they on board with it at first or kind of, was there some skepticism as far as, as, as doing that? That's a great question. And giving up, and giving up mm -hmm. some old methods. Okay. So initially um, I wasn't even speaking about LinkedIn because there, there were not many people on the platform. Of course, LinkedIn has gone through leaps and bounds. It has now close to 1 billion members. And since you hit record, a thousand people have signed up. Every second, two people sign up for LinkedIn somewhere around the globe. But back then, the, co the company CEO was glad that it was uh, beating my quota and he didn't care about the methods I used. The, the method was ethical. It was just 
what, what I did initially, at least a third of our time was dedicated to trying to find the name of the right person within the company. And obviously when you know how LinkedIn advanced search runs, then you, you can find the name of the person within seconds. And that helped me simply cut my sales cycle. And then I, I, start, I started helping some people. There was a lot of skepticism back then. And now it's different. Now, now some people think that um, everyone is on LinkedIn. So why do we need to, to, to be there? Or maybe we should do something else. So we've gone almost uh, full circle. So yeah, you know, everybody being on LinkedIn, but you also probably run into this too. Um, back then and along the way and with, with some of the clients you work with, they're on LinkedIn, but they're not really on LinkedIn. Yeah, the, the metrics- and That's of, a challenge. It is. So in, you know, the best scenario is when they understand that it's they're not leveraging the platform well enough, but in some cases they simply don't understand that. Let me give you a very quick example. If you're a business owner, or an entrepreneur, then you may have heard that LinkedIn is for job seekers. So the way Nate, you would treat your own profile would be like, this is what I've done. Okay, I worked for IOXYZ in, in those years, and then I moved to, to professional uh, basketball, and then I, I became something else. But if you're in business, then you don't need to consider LinkedIn, your LinkedIn profile as a CV or resume. You should consider it as a website that needs to convert your ideal reader into reaching out to you. And looking at your own profile, what I see is, is that you tweaked and improved your profile headline. By default, that's the name of our current position and the name of our current employer. But in many cases, it's not what opens the door. So what do I read here? I read, I guide students to envision their future so that they can navigate a pathway to purposeful life beyond education. That's the first sentence I see. And this is a lot more interesting for students and graduates because you make it about them. So the first takeaway people can take from this is identify the person you're speaking to, identify your ideal prospect if you'd like, and then ask yourself, what sort of action would you like those people need to perform once they visit your profile and lastly are you providing them with information at the right time in the right order that is likely to make them go oh you're the go-to person you know what i'm dealing with maybe i should learn more about you yeah you know as far as linkedin i think so many just think it's i'm looking for a job that's where i go it is that resume site and um a lot of people I have had success doing that and, and what they do. And, but even from a, from a, a hiring manager standpoint, uh, that's what probably a lot of human resource people or hiring people, that's what they probably think LinkedIn's for, but that's not the only use is what you're talking about. It's what you'd like it to be. And of course there are many HR people there, but even if you, um, when we work with talents and, and job seekers, initially they may think that HR is the solution what I tell them is that HR is the problem. Because HR are the people who will pose the job. But what's the best case scenario if you reach out to them? In some cases, they will look at your application and then pr probably pass it on to the hiring manager. 
So if you're smart about it, you can use LinkedIn to identify the hiring manager. Okay, if the, if the company is, is small or medium-sized, it could take you seconds or minutes. If it's a larger company, if it's 3M or Aviva USA, maybe it'll take you a couple of minutes, but you can identify the right person and then decide how to reach out to that person. Ideally, through a meaningful introduction, if you can. If you look at the hiring manager and you see that you two share a mutual connection, then it's, it relates to your connection strategy on LinkedIn. If you connect with people you know well, then Nate, you would recognize the name of that person. And that's the best time to leave LinkedIn, to communicate with that person and ask them whether they feel comfortable enough making the introduction. And by having that introduction, you may gain business or a contract simply thanks to the name of that mutual connection of yours. Yeah, and that's where it gets into, right? You get into the first connections and the second connections and the third and all of that. Um, you know, and that's something I've used to, I'll come across somebody that is a, a second connection of somebody, but that's something that, you know, of the thousands that I have on LinkedIn, I, do I know every one of them personally and firsthand? I, I, I can probably go back and tell you a connection, how I, how I know them or along the way somewhere, but I've used that of, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And I've had it done the same type of way, um, but it takes work. And, uh, and, and that's, that's where people maybe don't want to put the time in is they, it takes work to try and do some of that networking. It's not easy. You're right. But the term networking you used is, is something that is best, uh, cultured and it's best, uh, done when you don't need it. Okay. So if, if let's speak about graduates. Okay. A lot of people think that in, in terms of networking, they need to, to go and find some influencer and then push their information down that person's throat. But the truth is, if you manage to keep in touch with students who you uh, studied with, then in three years' time, many of those students, Nate, will end up working for, the for your dream employers of 2025 or 2026. And as you know, keeping in touch with people is a lot easier and a lot less time-consuming than knocking on someone's door and say, hi, please hire me because I'm, I'm the best whatever it is you need. So you don't need to work hard, but if you neglect your networking, that means you need to work a lot harder, and unfortunately, you'll get less results. So networking is something that is best done in small doses, but all the time in a consistent way. And that means that when there's trouble, you do have a real life network to fall back on. You do have an insurance policy. And we hope that you don't need to use that policy. But if you do, then imagine the difference if both of us worked with someone or studied with someone and you were able to keep in touch with that person after you've worked with them simply by saying Merry Christmas or Happy Birthday and you did it twice or three times. And in three years, you reach out to that person and I reach out to that person, who would they help more? Nobody likes it when we only remember them when we need them. And networking is a key skill for graduates and for anyone in business and in the career world. And it takes many people decades to understand the importance of networking. 
you know, when you look at how LinkedIn's evolved over the last, I guess, since when you got on it in, in 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, what, what, what's the one big change or feature that got tacked on that you, this is a game changer. If you think back to how that's impacted, not, not only your business, but even other users out there of maybe how they've changed, put you on the spot with that one. Okay. No, with pleasure. It's, uh, the fact that it, it takes me, I think it's a gradual thing. I don't recognize looking back a single change at LinkedIn as, uh, you know, there were times when Microsoft acquired the company that some people thought the end of the world was coming and, and LinkedIn would not behave in the same way. But the truth is it hasn't changed that much. What I would say is that the pace of changes has increased in a very significant way. LinkedIn is still a conservative, slow professional network, if you like. But back then, LinkedIn it would take you know six months for a new feature to be um, rolled out, and now it could it could take days or weeks. Um, there there are many small changes within the platform. I don't see any one a moment that has changed it in a significant way. I could name dozens, but none of them is a game changer. Well, or, or is that, that, that the changes, uh, no wholesale changes have, have, have made it what it is, that it just hasn't tried to reinvent itself, that it's just continued to, to uh, mature. Would that be the scale? Yes, you're right. Um, LinkedIn, one of the strongest and fastest growing uh, segments within LinkedIn is actually students and teens. And if you look at it back in the day, then students did not really use LinkedIn. And then the time they would actually sign up would maybe be when they were 25 or 30. And LinkedIn has managed to push that back into 16, at least 18. And that means that even when you're looking for a junior position or maybe your first internship or something that does not necessarily require dozens of years in the workforce, LinkedIn has become more relevant, if you like. So you look at the other social media out there and, and we, we see in the news or hear in the news, you know, the challenges that Instagram or Facebook or, or some of those sites have given to teens or other adults or, uh, or the uh, uh, look what I'm doing now generation. Uh, is, there some, is there some cautions as far as what LinkedIn is doing or has done that you're seeing on the negative end that people should be aware of when they're uh, in it or getting, uh, getting to be a part of it? Have you seen any of those negative things come up? It's a great question. I think LinkedIn, um, as LinkedIn users have probably suffered less than any other social media platform we could uh, think of because initially it's a conservative platform, if you'd like. Um, the, the thing I, I would caution is, is that if you only use Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, then the frequency of uh, the, the shares is probably highest and high, much higher than what you need to do on LinkedIn. You don't need to post on LinkedIn every day. You don't need to post on LinkedIn every month. And sharing is not the way to gain, uh, it's not the only way to gain attraction and to gain attention from people you are, you're interested in. The simplest thing would be to tweak your privacy settings so that you would be public 
and, and then visiting your ideal reader's profile. So if you're a job seeker or graduate, it would be the hiring manager. And if you're in business, it would be your ideal prospect. And if you do that, then many of those people will visit you back. And some of them may, if you're in business, go to your website and register for the program that you have. Or if you're a job seeker, they may message you or, or send you a connection request. And then you could reply and say, I'm very interested in what you're doing and I see that you're hiring for XYZ and then take it from there. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't require money. You don't need to pay LinkedIn. You just have to be smart about it. So you're in the aspect of, and in, in, in you're selling your services, I'm selling services, things like that. And then there's some, uh, I don't know if you call it predatory, but you know, I get them all the time that they'll pop <laughs> in that, uh, you know, they want to handle my SEO or they want to uh, get me more clients, more leads, things like that. Uh, that's that's become, I feel like, even more prevalent uh, in, in in LinkedIn today. How do you manage that? Um, my decision is to connect with people I know well. So, in, in a way, we need to make to reach a decision. Okay, you can, you need to 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 draw the line at some point, either in the beginning or in the end. What happens is that when I get invitations, if they're intriguing, maybe one of ten out of 10 would be intriguing enough, then then I would reply to that person. There's a way to do that without accepting the invitation. So I would say, thank you very much, Jane Doe. I see that you're doing X, Y, Z. Can I be of help? And if they reply and say, yeah, I got your name from uh, such and such, and, and I'm interested in discussing with you something that would make sense for both of us, then we would continue the conversation elsewhere. But if they're only sending you a pitch that is a cookie cutter they could send to someone else, you don't have to uh, connect with them. You can, you might even report them if you'd like. And the oh, flip yeah. side of it is, is that you need to be uh, very cautious of, of sending invitations to people you don't know. Because if five users um, report you, then your own LinkedIn account might become restricted. And that's uh, a problem. Well, now I know you. And I just hit connect with you. So we'll see if we'll see if it gets accepted or not. As you said, they're talking thick and I pulled up your LinkedIn. I'm like, we're not even connected. So uh, so so now we have that, um, you know, looking looking at uh, I think when we got connected and you've seen I got to think thousands of LinkedIn profiles, you've seen jobs out there that you probably had no idea what they were. Uh, or people you've helped. And you want to share any of those that you can think back to, to you're like, wow, that's a job or wow, I can't believe that person even posted that that's a job. I don't know. Uh, in my workshops, I have all uh, screenshots of people where, where I, um, I obviously hate the names, but all sorts of blunders that people make. And, and some of them also relate to, um, to the job titles that they have. Um, what happens is that the longer you work for a company and the larger the company is, the eight people around you use 10 to 20 terms that everyone uses and they know it. The challenge is to ask yourself, okay, if I move across the street and ask someone that doesn't work for us, will they understand the, that acronym? And initially, many people think that it's a general uh, term that everybody knows and the truth is it, it's not. So one challenge when you're living and when you need to find something else is to understand that the way your own company has called your position is not necessarily what the market calls it. In some cases, it is the same, but you have to understand what the market calls what you want to do. What, when you 
are interested in something that would be purposeful and, and, and relevant for your perspective, how do most companies, most of your target companies call that job or that environment or that position? But you got to have an interesting one. You got to tell me. There's got to be a funny one or something out there you can think of, a very unusual. I think spelling mistakes with executives uh, and their headlines because they don't visit LinkedIn that much. It's always a pity to see very talented people who don't, you know, I'm sure that when they write something, they, they, they reread it, they proof it, they have people reading it. But, but in some cases, you would see managers, executives working for a Fortune 200 company, and you would spot something that, you know, uh, someone in eighth grade would not be uh, proud of, of writing in, in an essay. So uh, I won't name names, but uh, maybe after we record, <laughs> I'll remember them. I'm sorry. Let's make it a, a positive thing, okay? Sure, what, I would yes. encourage, what I would encourage our audience here to do is to go to their profile and read it from A to Z. And make sure that it conveys the message they want. Because I'm sure that president and that CXO, if they only took the time to read their own profile, they would spot it within seconds. So don't let the world do it. When, when we run a search for someone's name on Google, their LinkedIn profile is usually top of the list. Please read it and make it professional. So, you know, tell me more about, you know, you've been doing this for uh, a, a long time as far as becoming the expert that you are in LinkedIn. How can, what, what's, what's a simple way that people can, uh, can check you out and even start uh, figuring out if, uh, if, if there's something you can do to help them with their LinkedIn profile, whether they have one now or they know it needs some work? The best thing to do is to head to my website. That's danielalfon.com, A-L-F-O-N. And then there, they would be able to either reach out or to read free articles that are there or to download guides from digital downloads from uh, from my store. And that's the best place to, to start. So this is a question I ask at the end of, of every interview. And I and I never know where it's going to go. Sometimes I think I know. And then sometimes I'm wrong, uh, which I would tell you maybe a lot of times I'm wrong. I don't know. But if, I, if I'm that uh, career musician and I wave my magic wand, what dream job can I give you right now, Daniel? I think I have my dream job. Uh, I would never um, uh, use that description, you know, 10 years or 15 years ago, but I have a dream job because I, I specialized. And even though I specialized, I, I'm happy to say that I met amazing people and I would, I would never be able to meet as many talented people from all sorts of uh, environments, from different walks of life, people in, in Northeastern uh, uh, Iowa, and people from Silicon Valley, and, and people from London, UK, and being able to help them within minutes is something I'm, I'm um, uh, thankful for. So my dream job is, uh, is not vacant, I have it. That's good. Daniel, that is very consistent that I hear uh, from the people I talk to that they're in it. And I, and I had not expected, I thought somebody had told me they uh, want to be a, a Ferris wheel operator or something like that just for fun. I don't know. Uh, Daniel, thank you for taking the time uh, to be on That's a Job podcast. Thank you very much, Nate. It's been a pleasure. 
Again, thank you all for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast. It's called That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy and the College and Career Discovery course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.